That's cool. Hey, man, have you ever done stand-up, Mike? Have you ever done stand-up comedy? Really, man, you should really think about it. Yeah, he does it every Sunday, huh? His life's a joke, right? Um, so good to see you. So good to be with you. You guys are beautiful. It's a gorgeous morning. Um, it feels good. You guys liking this heat? So, uh, you said not really? No, he's like, oh, God. Like, I'm frying. Um, so it's good to be here with you guys uh, this morning. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. If you guys brought your Bibles, I hope you did. So before I like to get started and before I get into it, I really do try and take that scripture of coming into his courts with thanksgiving seriously and um, how we ready our hearts for the word of God. So wherever you are right now, just do me a favor and just take a giant deep breath in. Just exhale. Okay, that feels good. Let's do one more. Just one giant deep breath. If you would, just close your eyes for me. And as I'm talking, just start to think about your week and just think about all the things that you're grateful for to God. They could be big things, small things, anything. I'm just so grateful that you did this in my life this week, God. Thank you. Come into his presence with gratitude. As you're thinking, I want to encourage you, if you can, try and get it down to one thing. And when you've got that one thing, just get it down to one word. I'm so thank you for this. So thankful for this. I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for it. How much time are you spending in gratitude towards him? When you have that thing, just kind of let it just sit on your chest. And it's like, oh, man, I'm just, it almost hurts. I'm so thankful for this. Thank you. And in your own way, whether it's raising your hand, whether it's saying thank you, whether it's a smile, just say thank you to God in an expression. Thank you. He's the maker. He loves you so much. And he gives generously. You know why you came here this morning. I don't. That's between you and God. You know what you're dealing with. You know where you're hurting. So just go straight there right now and say, Lord, I need you in this area. I need to hear from you here this morning. I really do. Yeah. Come on, just let it open. Let him get in there. Yeah. I promise you he'll heal you. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for another opportunity to try and get it right, to try and do it all for your glory. Thank you for your presence that's all over this room this morning. 
be with us as we go to your word. In Jesus' name. And the whole church said, Amen. All right. Thank you, brother. All right. Got you guys feeling good now, right? Ready to go? All right. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. And I want to talk to you guys this morning about a word called freedom. I want to talk to you about freedom. So, in this text, it's a popular text, and I hope that you've heard it before, and I hope that this morning you might hear it a little differently. But we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3 talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were three Jews living under Babylonian rule. Babylon is present-day Iran and Iraq in that area. So, in Babylon, it was so popular that they would have extremely gaudy jewels, extremely gaudy gold, all kinds of things like that. Have you ever seen the movie 300? Anyone seen that movie? Uh, remember when the Persians are approaching and they just have just jewels and gold and this is what the Babylonians were known for. So there comes a time where King Nebuchadnezzar summons all the governors, he summons all the hierarchy, all the leaders in the empire and he says, when I hit the flute, when I hit the lyres, when I hit the tambourines, everybody is commanded to hit the deck and bow down before this golden statue that we prepared. To them, that golden statue meant prosperity. It meant you'd have blessings. It meant that you'd have money. It meant that you were sowing seeds into the empire for it to continue. It meant that you were buying into what Nebuchadnezzar was offering if you bowed down to the statue. Uh, So he hit the tambourines, and he hit the lyres, and all the drums, and people started to bow down, and people started to yell. And he gets word that there are three Jews in the province that aren't bowing down to this gigantic idol. When he hears about this, he's furious. He says, tell me their names. Who are they? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Bring them to me immediately. He says, you will bow down to my idol. You will bow down to what I've asked you to. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond and say, sorry, because we've said yes to God, we have to say no to you. King Nebuchadnezzar says, if you say no to me, I will throw you into the fiery furnace and you will die. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond and say, even if you throw us into the furnace, we still will choose our God. If I had time this morning, I would talk more about what it's like to choose greatness over success and what it's like to choose God over these cheap uh, little things that are so fleeting. If I had time, I would talk to you about the power of choosing God. When the world says, I want you to choose success and these, these, these cheap titillation of little things that are so fleeting and God's saying, I want you to trust in me. For them, the idols meant wealth, the idols meant prosperity, the idols meant money, the idols meant it was all about you, but they had already made a decision to choose God and to trust in Him for all of their needs. If I had time, I would talk about that. But since I only have you for one morning, I want to talk to you about what happens when they get thrown into this fiery furnace. What happens when they say no to the world, they say yes to God. And the cost for doing such a thing is getting thrown into a furnace. So let's go to the word. Daniel 3, chapter 19. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them in to the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, and turbans and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the furnace. Don't forget that word bound. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Dear Jesus, thank you again for this time. Please be with us as we study your word and as we dive a little deeper. In your name, amen. So, about ten years ago, I was going with my mom to the market up the street from our house. And it was a hot day in January so as a typical of a 17-year-old at the time, I wanted to just kind of chill in the car and let her do all the shopping, and I was just going to wait for her to get out, right? So I'm sitting there, I'm doing whatever a 17-year-old does, you know, complaining about something, I'm sure. And I see my mom start to walk out of the market. And right before she approaches our car, I hear a loud, Hey, Jackie Sapp, is that you? And my mom looks over and she says, Daryl? And they said, oh my God, what are you doing here? What are you doing all the way out in Pomona? It's so good to see you. And first, as a 17-year-old, I'm like, yo, who's this dude talking to my mom real quick? Like, he needs to back up. Hold up. (laughs) She was divorced at the time, so I'm like, yo, yeah, chill out, bro. Okay, I see you. Yeah, these windows are tinted, but don't get it twisted. Okay. Um, So I'm sitting there in the car, and I'm just watching my two, my two, my mom and, uh, this guy, Daryl, just, they're just going back and they're just laughing and they're just saying, you remember this and you remember that. And turns out my mom had gone to high school with Daryl and they hadn't seen each other in over 30 years. And they had just reunited at a random Albertsons in the middle of nowhere in Pomona. They're both from Los Angeles. And so they would just talk for just hours, literally. And I'm just sitting, I'm just like, oh, come on, I want to go home. But they're just talking and talking and talking. They're saying, you remember that? And you remember this? And man, you had the afro and you were a cheerleader. And, and they were just going back and back and forth forever, it felt like. But what that day would do is it would spark an incredible friendship from that point on. Literally every single day, I couldn't remember when my mom wasn't talking to Daryl. Right when I walked in, they'd be on the phone talking about something they had just seen on TV. And right before they go going to bed, they're talking about what they're going to do the next day. And they're just talking about everything. Before you know it, they're going to concerts together. Before you know it, they're working out together. And before you know it, this one meeting at Albertsons had rekindled a friendship that had led to an incredible romance. Um, they fell in love with each other. 
It was for the first time my mom had found a man that she said, man, I, I found my best friend. I found the love of my life. And who would have thought this dude was a nerd in high school? <laughs> and here he is, my best friend, the love of my life, my partner. And so they would date. And at the time, my sister and I were in high school. And his kids, uh, kind of crazy, but they were in high school. And it was just a very chaotic time. If you're a parent in, in that state with your children, I know you know how that is. It's just There's just so much to do. So you try to find the balance. My mom was... Uh, getting a doctorate degree, and he was finishing an MBA. So you try and work it out. You try to do the best you can. So year after year would pass, and life would happen, and ups and downs would take place. But they realized uh, that they were ready to take their relationship to the next level. And so after about 10 years, they made a decision, and they started to plan their wedding. And they began to get so excited. He had been trying to marry her for year after year, but my mom was just like, eh, you know, maybe, maybe not, maybe not. And they just got put it off every single year because they were both so busy. So finally, uh, last year, they were set on planning their wedding. So because of some problems that they'd have in the past, they said the first thing we have to do is we have to go to church and get marital counseling, right? So they went to this intensive course that was I think it was about five weeks long, and it was two nights a week. And you just go in, and you pray, and people talk to you, and you talk about the things you're scared of. You talk about the things you're hopeful for. You talk about the things you feel vulnerable about. You talk about everything. You know, I don't like it when he puts stuff in the fridge like that. I don't like it when she you know, brushes her teeth like that. You talk about all those things. And I talked to my mom after she would leave these counseling sessions, and she's just, oh, man, I'm just so exhausted. I'm just so tired. I mean, I have class, and I'm... I'm trying to do this thing right. And when you're trying to do it right with God, you just have to deal with that deep stuff when we just get so, so tired. But they completed the course and they were so encouraged. And they knew that they were ready to get married. So my mom began to look at wedding venues and she began to get all the colors ready and she began to to plan exactly what she wanted uh, for a wedding. She began to send out invitations and the date. And when they go look at venues... Uh, they would get excited. Then after the venues, they'd go look at homes and plan their life together. After they'd go look at homes, they would just kind of drive around and think, man, like, what are we going to do? Like, what are we going to do when we're older? Are we going to travel? Are we just going to be a couple that chills? Like, what's going to be our thing? It was an incredible time. Uh, They would do so much stuff together. One of the things they liked to do was go to the movies a lot. And Daryl was uh, a big fan of, of meat, uh, in particular chicken. Um, yeah, that brother, he could eat some chicken. Like lean, lean dude, strong and good-looking guy. Man, he could just he could just put it down. And my mom would always get on him about eating this fried chicken. They'd go out to dinner, and afterwards he would just be, you know, he'd just kind of be chilling like that, and just just couldn't move. And she's like, hey, you need to stop eating like this. So one night, I was like, come on, I want to really want to go see this new movie. And uh, Daryl said, you know, I just, I think I had some bad food. I'm just not, I'm just not feeling too well. So the next weekend, I was like, come on, like, let, let's go, let's go hang out. She's just like, you know, I'm, it's like, I don't know what it is. I'm just, uh, I'm sluggish. And so mom's like, yo, all right, check this out. So I'm going to come over, I'll bring a movie, and we'll just hang out at your house tonight. So she gets over there, brings the movie, and he's just, man, he can't keep food down. He's just looking weak. And so my mom, in typical mom faction, she's 
you know, she just jumps to conclusions right away. We're going to the emergency room, you know. We're going straight there. And he's like, no, I'm fine. I just need some Pepto-Bismol. It's cool. So they're at the emergency room. And the doctor uh, gives Daryl some medicine, and his stomach pains subside, and he's uh, able to keep his food down, able to keep liquids down. And the doctor comes out and asks Daryl, he says, how are you doing? And Daryl says, good, I, I feel fine. And the medicine you guys gave me worked. And my mom's you know, looking at each other like, yeah, this is, this is good. We're, can we go home now? And the doctor says, well, Daryl, I, uh, I'm sorry to tell you this, but the reason you've been having so much stomach pain is because we found cancer in your stomach. And uh, this, is un- this is not unusual uh, to find... Uh, the percentage of red blood cells that they found. He said, it's not unusual. And we feel like because we've detected it early, um, you're going to be fine. It's not going to be anything to worry about. So I want you to go home. I want you to rest. And when you come back, uh, in about a week, we'll have all the test results for you. So I don't want you to worry. I just want you to go home, take care of yourself. So you can imagine instantly they go from this extreme high to this state of what in the world just happened right now. Encouraged, just kind of in a daze. Not taking it too seriously because of what the doctor said, and he was pretty nonchalant about it. So they just kind of went on their lives and tried not to think about it for a good week and a half. And after the week and a half passed, Daryl gets a call from the doctor and says to my mom, hey, Jackie, you know, the doctor called me. Let's head over there and see what's going on. So they get to the doctor's office. Doctor, you know, how are you feeling? Good, good, good. How are you doing? Good. Levels look good here. Okay. Uh, so, Daryl, we took um, all the tests we could take. We looked at everything. And it turns out that the cancer is in more places than just your stomach. And it is all over your body. So we need to start treatment tomorrow. We need to start treatment immediately. And my mom describes that they're sitting in this hospital room and it's like the air is completely sucked out. My mom says to the doctor, but no, 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 like, no, no, we're, we're planning a wedding, you know, we're, we're going to start our life together. Uh, No, we're, we're just getting, what are you talking about? We're just getting, we're just getting started. This isn't supposed to be happening right now. And it's quiet. And Daryl looks up at the doctor and just simply says, how much time? The doctor says, well, if your body accepts the chemo, we're looking at about a year. And if it rejects it, we're looking at about six months. What do you do, right? My mom a woman of the word and a woman of God at that moment decided to trust in God. She decided to put all of her faith in God. She was raised in the faith movement. Anybody, anybody, 70 guys out there? Okay. So she's raised in the faith movement, pretty charismatic, pretty uh, Pentecostal. So she's putting scriptures up everywhere all over the house. She's praying all day. She's on her knees all night, and she's just believing and believing and believing for Daryl's healing. Uh, she's making 
she's making organic juices every single morning, and you've got to have your drink, green drink, and you can't go a day without your green drink, and she's just doing everything she can to make Daryl feel better. Uh, there were times when they were traveling back and forth to Ohio to see a specialized nutritionist to see if he could make an impact in Daryl's life. So my mom, she's doing everything she can. She's bringing pastors over. She's bringing people with healing ministries over. She's bringing friends over. She's doing everything she can to try and curb the pain, to try and heal him, to try and make him feel better. One really cool thing she did was she would take pictures of Daryl in his normal body state and put them all over the house. Daryl started to lose weight very, very quickly. So one thing that these pictures did to him was it reminded him of who he really was, right? So he's walking around the house and he's getting reminded of who he is. Some of you might be in a furnace tonight, this morning. I usually preach at night. Some of you guys might be in a furnace this morning and it's getting so hot and the stress is getting so just unmanageable that you are slowly starting to forget who you are. Some of you might be in a state this morning where you don't even remember what you look like, right? You don't even remember how you used to act. Um, so my mom would put these pictures up all over his house so he could see, yeah, that's, that's the real Daryl. That, that's, that's who I'm looking at. Um, you should know this morning that you are an incredible child of God, that you are talented, that you are gifted, that you are strong, that you are smart, that you are courageous, that you are beautiful, that you have an amazing calling from God. That word encouragement literally means to be reminded of who you are. Courage is the act of knowing who you are. Are you in a state this morning where you have forgotten who you are? I encourage you to let the gospel of Jesus remind you who you are. Remember that prize, that precious gift that you are to the world. So my mom would just remind him, remind him, remind him constantly, standing on the word, standing on the fact that he would be healed and believing in his healing more than even Daryl did sometimes, honestly. So they go back in for their checkup. It's about three months in now. My mom had moved into his home and was taking care of him every single day, had taken time off work, and she had become his primary caregiver. So they go into the doctor's office. Hey, Daryl, how you doing? Good, good, good. Levels look good. I mean, you, you look great. I, don't, I mean, you don't look sick at all. This is what the doctors are telling him. He said, but we're doing some more tests. And we found out that the cancer has also spread to your brain. So now we like to call this phase the decision time, where we start making decisions about quality of life and what you would like to do. So he said, we have two options. Number one, we can continue radiation and we can continue treating the cancer in your body or we can do chemotherapy that's just going to isolate on your brain. But we can't do both. So you have to pick which function you'd like to hold on to. And he thought for a while and he decided he wanted to hold on to his brain as long as possible. Even if his body wanted to go, he wanted to hold on to his brain. So... Again, they're sitting there, and Daryl asks, you know, well, okay, if we just do the brain stuff, what am I looking at? And he said, you give or take about two months. Now, it's so crazy, because I, I promise you, if you would have seen Daryl, he, he looks like he was running around. He looked strong. He looked 
fit. I mean, he was happy. He did. He wasn't really experiencing that much pain. It, it was just such a crazy experience. Um, so you can imagine the frustration. You can imagine the pain. You can imagine the anger that my mom and Daryl felt. You can imagine the disappointment. You can imagine how hard of a situation that was. I'd ask my mom, so what do you guys, what do you guys do over there? And she said, well, sometimes we cry, sometimes we laugh, sometimes we dance, sometimes we just sit, sometimes we talk, sometimes we get really, really mad, but most of the time we're just, we're just kind of hanging out. Um, what does your furnace look like? Um, if you've chosen God today, the question isn't whether or not you're in a furnace, it's just, what is it? For you this morning, what are you in right now? The situation that's getting turned up hotter and hotter and hotter. King Nebuchadnezzar just doesn't throw him into the furnace like he does all the other prisoners. He says, "I want to heat it up seven times more just to make sure this kills him, and just to make sure this is an example to everyone else about what happens when you pick the God of the Jews." In verse twenty-two, I love this imagery said the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I kind of get this like like slapstick comedy of like these like anonymous henchmen that I was like, ah! you know, it's like dying. But what I, what I saw was They're in a furnace so hot. They're in a situation so bad that people can't even get close to it. Have you ever been in a situation, has the world come down on you so hard that people are like, yo, man, I'm sorry, man, but I, I can't even get up next to you. The divorce that was supposed to take you out. Your friends were saying it's, it's God's will for you to leave them. It's, it's God's will for you to be by yourself and be with God. And you thought you obeyed and you were doing the right thing and you found yourself completely and utterly alone. The breakup, um, the joblessness. You see this imagery of King Nebuchadnezzar and the governors and all these people just standing outside the furnace and just saying, yeah, we're, gonna, we're just going to watch this thing burn up in flames. And it's just so typical of our culture. We literally like to watch meltdowns happen all the time. Oh man, that, that sounds really bad, bro. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be praying for you, yeah. The pastors, the healers, the friends, the family who, yeah, baby, call me if you need anything. All of a sudden... We're nowhere to be found. And the reality begins to sit in to my mom that she's spending her days in a house with a man who's dying. The furnace that you're in this morning, do you feel alone? Do you feel like you may not even know who you are anymore? Do you feel dejected? Do you feel like maybe you've become a spectacle and everyone's just kind of sitting back 
watching this thing go up in flames? Do you feel alone? My mom begins to ask Daryl, what do you want to do? Um, you know what the doctor said. Still standing on the word, still praying, still on their knees every single night asking God for healing. I'm so what do you want to do? You want to, do you want to go to Paris? Do you want to go to, you want to, go to Hawaii? Just New York? Do you, what do, what, what, tell me what you want to do. I'll, I'll do whatever you want. Just tell me. And Daryl said, no, I don't want to travel, but it would be great if we could just get people over at the house. Um, and just kind of have like a little hangout. And mind you, at this time, he's speaking very, very slow, very, very soft. He's lost about 80 pounds. And so, typical of my mom, she, she starts planning, you know, stuff to come over. She starts bringing food, and she starts getting things ready. And uh, she was telling people, it's just going to be a hangout. Um, people are just going to come, you know, without saying it, but come and kind of say your piece to Daryl. It has started to spread of the severity of his condition. And so this is your opportunity to just come hang out, say hey to Daryl, check on him, and um, just stop by the house for a little while. So I'm getting ready to go, and I'm getting ready, and as I pull up to his house over in Chino Hills, I get out of the car, and I'm instantly confused. Um, I'm like, what? As I get out of the car, and I hear things like, Hoo-wee! Boy, you don't know nothing about that. What you talking about? Man, pass some more food over here, man. How you doing, bro? Good to see you. I hear laughing. I hear talking. I hear energy. I hear life. I start walking up to the house. I'm like, wait, hold up. It's like, is that Marvin Gaye? <laughs> I was like, I hear people dancing. I hear drinks rattling. I hear food. I walk in. You know, by the time I'm in the living room, I'm like, hey, <laughs> Hey, okay. Um, having a full-on party in there. In the midst of this party, there's you got man, you got incredible soul food over here. Got people dancing over here. You got you know Big Mike with you know with one of those hats, and he's just like yeah, yeah, yeah. he's just chilling. And in the midst of all that, you see Daryl. The living room had been turned into a hospice, and Daryl was literally lying there in the midst of the celebration. Death in the midst of a party. King Nebuchadnezzar standing outside of the furnace. And you can almost hear the voice of fear through the words here. Weren't there three men that we put into the furnace? He says, yes, king. It just says one word that changes everything. It says, look. I see four men walking around, unbound and unharmed. 
And the fourth looks like the Son of God. If I was a neighbor walking around that street in Chino Hills, I'd just probably stop and say, isn't that the house of the man who's dying of cancer? Isn't that the house where they said that he had no more time left to live? I said, look, there must be someone else in there with him. Isn't that the man who said, who we said would never work again? Who they said was incompetent? Who had lost a job and didn't know how to provide for his family? Who thought, this is it. Let's sit back and watch this thing burn. But if you've chosen God this morning, all the onlookers can say is, look, there must be somebody else in there with them. I don't know what your furnace is this morning, but if you've chosen Christ, if you've chosen Jesus, then your posture in the furnace should be one of this. Just walking. Unbound. Free. 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 Look, there must be someone else in there with them. How can they still smile like that? How can they still talk like that? How can they still help others? How can they still make an impact? There must be someone else in there with them. Unbound. Free. Guys, the promise of the gospel is not that you won't be thrown into furnaces. The promise of the gospel is not that you won't endure great hardship. Paul says, don't think something as weird is happening when troubles come. The promise of the gospel, according to Galatians 5.1, says that it is for freedom that Christ has made you free. So when the world comes down on you, and God says, I hope that you choose me in that time, because what I'm going to do for you is keep you safe. I'm going to keep you whole. I'm going to keep you well. And even though they're going to throw you in there, and people are going to think that you're bound up, people are going to think that this is it for you, people are going to think that this is the end. But at the end of the day, when people walk by, they can only say, look, I see people walking around free. Because Jesus will come in and put a hedge of protection over you. And he will keep you safe from your circumstances. He will keep you safe from your mind that drives you nuts. He will keep you safe from money worries. He will keep you safe when people talk about you. He will keep you safe from the bad news. And you will remain unbound, completely free. The question is not whether or not you're in a furnace this morning. I know you are. We all are. But are you free or not? Are you bound by it? Are you bound by it? Or is God in you in such a way that you are free and experiencing freedom and able to walk and able to celebrate and able to still experience the fruits of the Spirit? Are you free? It is a direct relation to your relationship with God and getting vulnerable and saying, God, I would appreciate 
if you would come into this area of my life. I would appreciate if I could make you Lord over everything. When I look at all the rooms of my life, if my life was a giant house, I want to let you into every single one of them, even the ones that I don't like to visit. I want to let you into all of them. And God says, if you do, he wants you to know that he did everything for your freedom. you got to know that. you got to know that Christ paid the price so you could be free. You don't have to be masochistic. You don't have to be inserting pain on yourself. You don't have to be beating yourself up. You don't have to be enduring this every single day alone. Christ says, no, 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 I did that so you could experience freedom. The world's not going to understand it. People aren't going to get it. A lot of times, nine times out of ten, you're going to be judged for it. But Christ says, if you choose me, you will be free. Walking around, unbound. Freedom inspires freedom. And uh, Tuesday night came, and my mom was sitting there with Daryl. And he'd had a really great day. For whatever reason, she had walked over there. Um, she felt it was the Lord and she was holding his hand and he started to get really, really, really short of breath. And my mom was like, you know, you can, you can go if, if you need to go. And she said, it's okay, it's okay you can go. I'm going to be fine. We're all good here. And Daryl looked up at her and just like that, he was gone. Because freedom always inspires more freedom. And that house had become a furnace, heated up six, seven, eight times. Planning a wedding, six months later you're planning a funeral. How do you deal with that? The king, watching all this take place, watching four men walking around, one of them looks like the son of God, he, he is completely blown away, and all he says is, Come out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Please, come out. He said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he promoted them to the highest office in Babylon. Wherever you are today, you got to know that eventually you are going to come out unharmed. They said they couldn't even smell the fire on them. You're going to come out completely unmessed with. And for his glory, that's key, for God's glory, you will be promoted in life. That's not just more money. That's not just more stuff. But it's your level of impact for the kingdom of God. You're going to come out a stronger person. You're going to come out a more wiser person, a better person, a more real person. You're going to be more down. You're going to be more faithful. You're going to be more trustworthy. You are going to come out completely differently, unharmed. And for his glory, God's going to promote you. If you choose God, God says, I promise you will get thrown into a furnace. You will. That's the cost of being a Christian. But the good news is you'll never be by yourself. And you'll never be bound. I'll always be with you. And because of the blood, you will be able to walk around completely free, unharmed. And then there's going to come a day where I'm going to bring you out. And I'm going to promote you. And it's going to be for his glory. 
And people are going to sit back and say, look at what God did in your life. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this incredible morning. Thank you for this incredible people. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the promise of freedom. As I'm talking to you, um, you're someone that says, Justin, I get all that. Um, I'm darn sure I'm in a furnace, but I don't feel too free right now. I feel trapped. I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. And I want to revisit my life with Christ. And I want to let him in. I want to give him everything. You got to know that when you do, you're not losing, you're winning. Christ says, give it all to me. Singing the song this morning, cast your cares. And he will give you sweet, sweet freedom. If that's you this morning, just go ahead and lift your hand real quick. It says, I want some more freedom. I'd appreciate some more freedom in my life. I'm in a furnace, but I don't feel too free right now. If that's you, just go ahead and lift your hand real quick. Thank you, Lord. Just whisper this soft prayer with me. Dear Jesus, say I recommit my life to you. I invite you into every single room of my life. I give it all to you, Lord. I invite you into the furnace with me. I promise to be real with you. I promise to be vulnerable with you. And thank you for your freedom. Thank you for being with me. The whole church said, Amen. Thank you guys. It's been a pleasure to be with you this morning. Thank you so much, Pastor.